Hi, this is Tina Black, and this is the B-Series Podcast. Today, we'll be exploring untold stories of transformation and leadership. We hope you'll subscribe and check out the B-Books and send us your stories of transformation after listening. All right, I am sitting here actually at the Rochester Hills Michigan Public Library, which is my favorite office spot, my favorite room, room number seven, with Angie San Susi. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me, Tina. <laughs> she actually lives in Rochester, Michigan, and she had no idea that the public library has these really awesome rooms. So I was Up until about a week giggling. Ago. <laughs> I told her, yeah, I'm all the way from Port Huron, Michigan, and I use the uh, Rochester Hills Library. It's like one of those best-kept secrets, yeah. for sure, but now the secret is out, which is awesome. And I love that I can actually say your last name, Angie, Sansusi, yep. because I asked you how many times, and I just realized a couple days ago that Siri actually knows how to say your name. So that's really impressive. She had it right. That's good. <laughs> and I figured if she does, then I should be able to do it. And it's really special because I met Angie. Funny, she's from Michigan, but I met her at the John Maxwell coaching and speaking training because she also is an executive director for the John Maxwell team. But she's also a 2010 graduate at Eastern Michigan University. And you don't know this, but I spent my first year of college at Eastern Michigan University before I transferred in Lansing for dentistry, so it's kind of funny. Go Eagles! We we share a little bit in common, which is awesome. And uh, you're also a graduate of Disney Leadership Institute, and I would love to hear a little bit more about that. That got me really excited. And then a certified knowledge broker, and I want to hear about that as well. So, So talk a little bit about those two things, and then I also want you to share the journey to get to where where you are today. Oh, sure. Um, so, gosh, where do I get started? Well, mm-hmm. um, I'll talk about the Disney Leadership and the Certified Knowledge Broker since we started there. So, the Disney Leadership Institute was kind of a happy accident, a very happy accident. Uh, where I went through that was through uh, the car dealership that I worked at. So, it was my first mm-hmm real job out of college. I graduated at the height of the recession, so I kind of had to take whatever I could get. And oh, I- <laughs> wow, yeah, because that was 2010. That was 2010. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I landed with a position as a the internet sales manager for a car dealership, and I did that because my uh, one of my sorority sister's mothers worked at the dealership, and they were looking for someone who was young and knew how to work with email addresses, and that's how I got the job. Okay, that's cool. (laughs) Wow. And uh, so I started there, and uh, at the time, the GM, we were a GM dealership, and so they were sending all of their managers through the Disney Leadership Institute. And I remember it was at Macomb Community College, and the dealership was down by the airport, so it was a Mm. massive distance away, and and the owner didn't want to go, and general manager didn't want to go, and the new car sales manager didn't want to go, and the used car sales manager didn't want to go. And you're putting your hand <laughs> and, uh, up, uh, me, please? I'll go. And they said, well, I guess you're a manager, so you can go for the, and represent the dealership. So that's nice. how I ended up there. Uh, so yeah, it was a day-long training, and it was representatives from Dizzy talking about leadership and culture and communication, and really was my first exposure to this idea of leadership and leadership Mm. training and and growth and 
and, and personal development and, and the fact that it's wow. not just technical learning, right? I mean, you go through tons of programs to learn how to do what you need to do, mm-hmm. and this was really about how to be a better person. So that was Whoa. a very... Nice. Very well, Disney knows how to do it. Hello. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, Look at do. how successful that they are. Yeah. Incredible. And, uh, one of the things I remember was uh, if you engaged, they gave you these little, like, three-inch figurines of their... Their characters, Mickey, Minnie, the Disney princesses. Nice. And so I, um, I remember sitting next to a woman who was very introverted, and I'm very extroverted, so she didn't get a lot of the figurines. She got one, and I had, like, 20 in front of me, right? <laughs> and she said, I have all these granddaughters, and I just, I was hoping, I don't know, like, which one I want to give my one to, and I said, pick. Like, Cute. I just want to take one. And so I gave her the rest, but that Belle was the one I saved because she's my favorite princess. She sits in my office Mm. on my desk as a reminder of that training and really where I started in this journey and and all of that that came from it. Oh, this is great. I love Belle, too. I just got the chills. (laughs) Very nice. Very nice. And tell me about the Certified Knowledge Broker. What is that? Yeah, so it's a, it's intriguing. It's a new program. It's one that was launched by Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi back in May of this year. And really the, uh, the mission of the certification is to change the way that the world thinks about education and, and higher education. And not to overthrow college because there is a, a place for university systems, but we have an education system right now where people are going to school, they're taking on hundreds of thousands of dollars in student debt. Most people don't end up using that degree. You know, I graduated from Eastern Michigan with a degree in political science and a minor in <laughs> criminology, and I'm doing nothing with the legal wow. system. Wow, and how much did you spend? Uh, I, my, my total debt before the interest charges was about $80,000. Wow. Said, I don't even want to think about how much I'm going to be spending paying that back with mm. interest. And when I think about my journey in the business world, which is where I landed, almost everything that I have learned to be successful, I have learned through the power of self-education mm-hmm. and through mentorship. And so that is really the heart and the spirit of what this program is about, is each of us in this world, as business people and as just people, we all have superpowers. We have things that we've learned and we have stories to share. And when we share those, we help someone else learn. And so that's what the idea of the Certified now broker is, is going through this process of understanding how to extract individuals' knowledge and then give them the microphone to share that with the rest of the world through various different pieces. Uh, Masterminds is the one that they use the most, but just mm. different different ways to share with your audience so that we can all help make mm-hmm. self-education the new norm is their, their tagline. So, wow. Self-education is the new norm. Yeah. I'm 100% behind you on that. You're really preaching to the choir because I own... Uh, technical schools, right? Uh And so most of our students that come through the program, they're dealing with family members that forced them basically to go to college and they did not want to go because they wanted to be a hairstylist and and finally got to go through our program. And I always tell them, hey, we're not your mama's beauty school. You know, you need to come through our program because we teach you more than doing hair. We teach you business, leadership, and life skills that will take you through whatever journey that you go on. So that's definitely really exciting for me to hear that Tony Robbins is taking that on. I think that's really, really huge. And then uh, when did you become an executive director for John Maxwell? When did you do the original certification and why? Yeah, so the original certification I did in August of 2015 and then became a, a executive director in 2000. 
17 or 18. I don't remember. It was yeah. a couple years later. So, right. <laughs> but the original certification I went through in 2015. Tell me about uh, your journey to getting to where you are today. Oh, gosh, it's such a long journey, so how much time do yeah, we have, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you're not that old, so we're doing pretty good. We should be okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess I will start with um, start with the beginning. You know, I, I grew up in an area of southern Ohio where it was um, very suburbanized, but down the street was also a dairy farmer, so it was just kind of this weird little transition town. Nice. It was wonderful, and um, it was a very... Um, nice area. I grew up in a very nice home. I never had to worry about any of my basic needs, but um, what was external and what was internal were two very, very different stories. Part of my upbringing was um, being raised where people in my uh, my my circle of influence, uh, when I would make decisions, and, and let me back up, I was a very strong-willed, independent child, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I look at this meme on Facebook that pops up from my, my friends who are mothers now that say, uh, my daughter is going to be fierce and change the world. I just have to get through raising her first. <laughs> yes, I've seen those. <laughs> and I have to imagine for the people that influenced me early in my life that that right. could have been a mantra for them. And uh, uh, one of the things that I was told in response to that was, I was making decisions that maybe weren't for the same that other people would make for me. I would be told that I was a terrible person or that I was a bad girl, and and more importantly, that the world was going to end when I turned 13 years old. It was something that I was told on a very regular basis, and just this... it was, and what do you mean by the world was going to end? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what that yeah. was. What the, I think the intention of that was just to be a little... Um, sarcastic or like, oh gosh, you're, you know, something's going to change or something's going to be massive when the world, when you turn 13, and of course 13 is considered an unlucky number, and, and so I I don't know that I necessarily want to speak for the, the people who said that about me, what what was going through their mind, because I right. don't know, but I know that as a child, I and you believed it. I believed it. Yeah. I believed mm-hmm. that something was, that what I believed was that if I made decisions for myself that weren't in the best interest of someone else, then I was going to be bad or terrible. And right. the irony in this is I was born at approximately 9 o'clock in the morning um, in year 1988 on September 11th. And so I say when I turned 13 at approximately 9 o'clock in the morning, on yeah. September 11th, 2001, yeah. most people know where they were because yes. the world, in fact, did end as we knew it right. on my 13th birthday. Mm-hmm. And so what I made that mean for the rest of my young adult life was that I needed to do things for other people or I needed to please other people just so that terrible things wouldn't happen. Right. And so wow. That, it's crazy about 13 because uh, 13, I don't know what switched in my mind, too. I think we have... Uh, a lot of similarities, which is really interesting, as I chose 13 to be my number in basketball because I was a basketball player, and uh, and I ended up being MVP that year. Yeah. But I wanted to prove to the world that 13, that's just a fallacy, is not an unlucky number, but it's a lucky number. So obviously it's a lucky number, yeah. and look at you now yeah. and seeing what's happening. It's amazing how words can be 
spoken over you and then you can believe it. What, what, uh, where was a, a defining moment in your life where you stopped believing those lies? Oh gosh, you know, it, that journey has felt a little bit like a layer process. And I, mm. I, whenever I tell this part of the story, I think of Mike Meyer's voice and Eddie Murphy's voice from the Shrek when they're talking about onions and parfaits. Nice, yes. <laughs> and I'd like so to good. say, I'd like to say it's a parfait, but it's definitely not. It's an onion process because it's yeah. smelly and at least in my experience, there have been a lot of tears that have come from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there were definitely some different moments in my life, and, and a couple of the ones that I can think of in um, high school, I was exposed to a mentor through my um, statewide church program. Um, through, we were doing like a weekend retreat, and she was my my mentor for that. And then afterwards, she said, "I'd like to continue to be your mentor, and let's meet up for lunch every so often." And I remember as I was getting ready to apply for college and prepare for where I wanted to go, and and going through some of the things that were going on, uh, you know, where where my family thought I wanted to go, where other people thought I should go, and I wanted to go somewhere else. And and she said, At "The end of the day, it's your life." Mm. Yes. So it's going to make you feel better about it. Mm -hmm. Like she said, right now, I was 17 at the time. She said, right now it feels like everything is someone else's decision because legally it is. But at some point you're going to turn 18 and your life is going to be yours and you're going to be an adult and you're going to be free to make your own decisions. So what choices are you going to start making? Wow, she was really daring, and I love I love that verbiage because I want to call this segment Be Unsilenced because that's exactly what I've been seeing uh, with you and just hearing some of your story, and I think what the first step is get a mentor, and so tell me first, what happened between 13 and 17, and why and how did you even decide that you wanted a mentor? How did that process, because there's a lot of people out there that are thinking, well, I would like a mentor, but I really don't know how to go out and find one like that. Yeah, I, you know, I can't say that I necessarily even went out and found it per se. It was definitely at that point given to me. It was, it's one of those moments where I can say, and I'm a woman of faith, so, um, and I know you are as well, and, and for the listeners, I hope you'll hear this with the heart of, of, of acceptance and not necessarily religion per se, but um, I was handed this mentor to help me to my next level because what I went through was so much bigger. And I didn't know it back then, but I can say that with a lot of certainty now is a lot of things that happened leading up, they, they were so divinely timed and they were so perfect and they were so Mm. like, there was no way for anyone to have any other control outside of this external, abundant, universal, loving being. Yeah. Um, so so yes That's so incredible. yeah so yeah. how how this this woman came into my life and um I'll say her name her name is Alice she's wonderful maybe she'll hear this yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so I how this all the, the 13 to 17 how this all happened um the way I started leading my life was the relationships that I had in my life with friends um I I seemed to naturally attract people who wanted me to do things because I was willing to bend over backwards and do a lot of things for people that maybe were not in my best interest because I felt like I needed to so that terrible things didn't happen. And so that led me to being very, very overcommitted um, Mm. and overstressed. And gosh, I I look back in in some of those days and I, I respect so much the fighter that I was back then without even realizing it. I mean, getting up... 
really, really early in the morning because school started really, really early in the morning and going through eight hours of school. And then at the time I was competing on speech and debate because I love speaking and I wanted to do that. Wow, you were doing that in high school? I was doing that in high school. Incredible. Um, I would have never done that. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I'm impressed. (laughs) Um, So I would have practice for that after school and then I would... Um, go home and then I'd have to do some homework, maybe grab a little bit of food and then I'd have to go to either my dance studio or back to the school because I was on the dance team and then we'd have practice for a couple hours a night and then I would have to come home and and because I wanted to be um, not just a good extracurricular, you know, I had grades that I needed to maintain and so I would spend hours and hours and hours. I normally wouldn't go to bed until midnight, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning and then be up at, at five, six o'clock in the morning the next day. You were day. definitely what I what I talk about in my podcast, you were that human doing right. and not yes. that human being. Uh-huh. And so this crazy, crazy schedule that you had, where, where was the shift in the mindset uh, then to say you know what, I've got to stop doing so much because you realize that you are overcommitted. Well, that didn't come until about three years ago. Wow. <laughs> I kept, yes. I stayed on that cycle of the overcommitment Can and the overdoing. Can you imagine the amount of people that do? Yeah, it's it's very common, I think, yes. more common. Um, yes. And so um, part of part of going back to the original question with Alice, um, one of the other things that I was overdoing was my commitment to church because... Um, it was a, a blessing in disguise, that overcommitment, because it did tap me into faith. And so there was a weekend-long retreat called The Happening that my church, I was a part of the Episcopal Church at that time. Mm-hmm. And so it's a retreat that is led by youth, for youth, um, to help bring more of a relationship to to Jesus as opposed to just, like, some of the more... Um, structured pieces of the church, right? The mm-hmm. the the finger pointing in the that that Yeah, piece. the more of the, the religious type. Right. Okay. Exactly. Gotcha. Um and so there were some shifts that happened through the church and happening. There was a lot of hierarchy involved and they wanted to um for example in happening you could only go when once as a high schooler and then once you went once you only could continue to go if you were selected to be staff so there was a lot of like politics and hierarchy involved in that and uh, my southern ohio group uh decided to debunk that and completely break away and start a new system where you could come back as many times as you want whether or not you were invited to staff and go through this process Uh, and the first time that we did that i was asked to be on staff and that's when they did the mentorship, and that's where Alice was really just, like, laid in my lap, spoon-fed to me, really. Yeah. Um, what was it that uh, made you connect with her for her to be able to speak the, those hard truths to you? What, what did she do um, to make that happen? You know, she was, uh, she, she was a priest for a church at the time, and I think now she, she's still active in in the spiritual world, um, she now it does something with a, a university program. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just remember there were a lot of priests in the church who had the the more traditional like um, priestly look, right? They've got the mm-hmm. the robes, and they're old old men or old women who aren't connected, and they speak in in very 
specific terms and they just don't connect. And here came Alice mm. and she had she was younger. Along came Alice. Along came Alice. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she just had this way of being just who she was, un, unafraid, unabashed, and and mm. being respectful, but also like I remember Remember the story. She she said during one of our staff preparation weekends, she said there are going to be times where you're going to want to swear, but we're in a church and you shouldn't be swearing. So when you think you want to swear, I want you to say as aggressively as you possibly can any vegetable that comes to your mind. <laughs> what was your vegetable? <laughs> she actually taught it to me. She said bok choy will be your favorite. Bok right? choy. Bok choy. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Oh, bok choy. Right. Okay. <laughs> but think about it like, oh, broccoli. Oh, That's awesome. Look, Brian's, uh, my husband's grandmother, she always says, my land of living. Yes. My land of living. So I'll say that once in a while. <laughs> That's beautiful. And, uh, but just the way she was very authentic. Like, yeah, you're mm-hmm. 15, 14, 15, 16. You're going to want to swear. But, like, here's yeah. a way to get out the aggression without being disrespectful. Nice. And that was not something I had seen from a church leader, uh, right? Up until oh, so she was kind of like your first uh, person that you got exposed to as a woman to like really come out and to be unsilenced, as we're saying. So that's really, really neat. Yeah. And so tell me what, what happened from there. Ironically, I went to Eastern because of their speech program and ended up going through their mock trial program because. Of a very a bunch of various different reasons, and I felt led that direction, um, and so got really really involved, and met some really incredible people through that program. And as a freshman in college, I got really really close with um, one of the captains of my team, and he and I had a very unique relationship. Um, he was just one of the coolest guys, one of my first like peer mentors that I can think of. Um, I mean, certainly by that point, I had professors who were mentoring me and and faculty who were helping me out, but he was really a first peer mentor. And I remember we um, went through the season, and we had some various different experiences, and then at the end of the year, this was, I think, the first year we had what's called burn the ballot ceremony. Mm. It's what we did is, you know, the judges would write out your ballots and give you comments and scores, and sometimes you agreed, and sometimes you disagreed, and sometimes you really, really disagreed. And we would save those and then do a bonfire to burn the ballots at the end of the year to kind of, like, refresh for the next season. So we... um, I needed to get back to the dorm after that, and he offered to drive me back to school. And at that point, I was trying to make a decision as to whether or not I was going to turn to Eastern that year or transfer to Ohio State University down closer to home. And uh, there were a handful of reasons for that. The year that that happened at Eastern was the year that there had been a student who was murdered on campus, and it was a big you know, statewide and nationwide conversation. Um, so there was definitely a security and a safety concern that I was worried about being so far away from family and um, that, that fear, right? Yeah. And, and that fear was being tapped into. Of and so um, my captain was looking at me. His name was Rich. And he said, all right, so I know you're having these conversations, so, like, what do you want to do? And part of me thought that because he's captain, he's trying to figure out who his team's going to be next year. He wants to know where I'm going to be. So I started rambling on and on about how I hadn't really figured it out. I didn't know, and I knew I needed to make a decision soon. 
and here are all the reasons why my family thought I should go here, and here's all the reasons that our coaches thought I should go here or stay, and here's all the reasons my sorority sisters thought I should stay, and here's all the reasons my friends from high school thought I should go, and, and I had to have rambled on for about 10 minutes, and then I asked the fatal question, so what do you think I should do? Yeah. <laughs> and I remember him... Like, I still can hear the screeching of the tires as he jerks the wheel to really? pull into a gas station. And he threw the car into park, and he looked me dead in the eye, straight into my soul. And he said, I have listened to you talk for the last 10 minutes about what everyone else in your life wants you to do. But I haven't heard once what you want to do. I didn't ask what anyone else wanted to do. I want to know what you are gonna Whoa. do and powerful. I remember so powerful wow. and I, I got remember, the chill. <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> so I just and that was one of those layer moments because it was the first time that I remember someone really challenging me on that I mean Alice had challenged me on this idea of you've got to take ownership of your own decisions and your own life but ju- but but that was still making choices and this was like what do you want not, not what choices are you going to make to please other people, what do you want? And I remember in, sitting in silence because I had no idea how to answer that question because I don't remember being asked that a lot leading up to it. And then he said, if you continue to let other people make decisions or choices for your life, they're going to make them to better theirs. They're not going to have your best intention in mind. 100%. And the and I keep I go back to that conversation many times when I'm peeling back layers because the part about this conversation that was so impactful wasn't just that it happened, but ten weeks later, Rich was killed in a car accident, mm-hmm. and that was the last conversation I had with him when wow. he was alive. And so um, I'm so grateful for that. But of course, then that that spun into a whole different process of learning how to mm. grieve and learning learning what to do next and yeah um yeah so that's incredible so what what I'm hearing you say so step one <laughs> to being unsilenced was <laughs> to make sure you get a mentor and really seek the right mentor yeah. right and then number two is take ownership of your own decisions and what a legacy that rich left with you and now we're able to spread that legacy you know, of what rich said like this is yeah. this is rich stuff yeah right it's rich <laughs> very rich and and so instead of asking other people what do you think i should do ask yourself well what do you think you should do and surround yourself with people who are willing to ask that question yes. because that was something that was so important mm-hmm. for me was I knew that Rich had something to win or lose because if I went to this other university I was going to be competing against him I was going to be you know working with another team and, and he he and I had he knew my work ethic he knew what I was capable of and but he didn't let that he didn't let that come into the middle of it, right? It was he. He was so much more concerned about me making the right decision for me than he ever was about what it meant for his team, what it meant for his scores, what it meant for him as a captain. Wow, it, so unselfless. Un, so yeah. unselfless. Yeah, beautiful. Wow. So really. Um, I, I love to think about this as really up leveling your inner circle too, and just yeah. the fact that you allowed him to speak into your life, I think, is so 
crucial and really seeking those people in your life. And, and that's why it's something I love about you, Angie, because I feel like you really up-level me. And I think it's so awesome to be a part of the John Maxwell team because we're around so many higher-minded thinking people, which I think mm-hmm. is really, really incredible. So talk um, a little bit more now what happened and what other steps to be on silence. Peel that onion for us. Sure. Um, so... I ended up staying, obviously, because I graduated from Eastern, so I did decide to stay there. Um, I went on, that's graduated, made a decision um, shortly before graduation that I was not going to go to law school. Um, I had another great mentor that I was working with um, through internships who brought up about some stuff about law school, bubble popping, jobs are going to be difficult to find, we're in the middle of this recession, if you want to go to law school you can always go back, but anyway, so. True story, my (laughs) husband just, I actually just retired from being a lawyer and it did, it made a huge shift for sure, he had a couple um, associates that worked with him that he had hired to work in his law firm and literally, I mean literally, and I can say this with all true reality is the fact that some of my top hairstylists were making more money than these lawyers were making, and it it, just, it turned really tough after tort reform, for mm-hmm. sure. Absolutely, so. yep. So yeah. I am very blessed to have had a mentor yes. who stopped me from yeah. The from one doing time that. that you should listen to somebody, <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, but if it was truly, truly your calling, I think that you would have stepped into it exactly. as well, too. So so talk about that process, because how did you make a shift to make a decision of what is your calling? Like, what do I want? How yeah. did you drill down? How I drilled down. So that kind of came through that stepping through process, starting with the car dealership, kind of taking what I had to take. And that really was a place that birthed this idea of I do not ever want to work for someone else because I was very successful in that car dealership when it came to internet sales. Um, Auto Trader was one of the programs that I worked with. And I remember an Auto Trader representative coming and telling me, um, hey, we need to know what you're doing because you're converting two, three, four times our leads than any other place and we you know can't we want to share these statistics but we can't replicate them <laughs> wow so, um I saw you go girl thanks. wonder woman over here <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was clearly doing something right but it, it, that wasn't necessarily reflecting I was helping the dealership right mm-hmm. at those bottom line numbers and so um through a couple of other situations that happened I, I realized that I really just needed to step away Mm-hmm. And so I had a conversation with my then husband, now ex-husband, about going on and doing a direct sales career, home-based business, um, and, and he supported that decision, and so I ended up leaving the dealership and then going through that. Of course, that brought on a whole level of personal growth. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, there's oh, something yeah. about the security of getting the paycheck every two weeks, and even, in, yes. you know, I had, I had a base bank commission, and so now mm-hmm. I had to be responsible for my results. And, and I remember um, that was a challenging period of time, just really, I mean, that was really forcing the onion open, because I was really forced to face a lot of those inner beliefs, a lot of those limiting belief systems, and really going back to this whole idea of doing what I needed to do and, and stop being afraid of being considered terrible or bad or, or, or doing things my way and making my own choices. And uh, I remember one of the mentors who was handed to me um, 
was my adopted, what we called in that program, adopted sales director. It meant she was someone who was local to me because the person who was above me was not local to me. And so she, just out of the grace of her heart and in the spirit of Mary Kay Ash, would support me and train me and let me work with her team and bring, you know, my potential clients into her facility and her studio. And I remember her asking some of those tough questions again. And I think Mm -hmm. that's a big piece of that story of my unsilencing is having strong, especially strong women who were willing to look me in the eye and say, Mm -hmm. what is going on here? And I remember um, her and I having a conversation because my sales were good. I was a good salesperson, which I picked up at the car dealership and I was good at helping other people in her team go on to be successful and motivated but I for whatever reason could not build my own right team, my own space and so mm. she she I remember her calling me out on a handful of occasions and, and, and asking like what is there's something that's not hooked up right what's what's the limiting belief what's the and it just exposing mm. me to a bunch of different trainings and programs and and of course a lot of those direct sales companies have their own stuff which is is phenomenal in fact John Maxwell just wrote that book the power of five for network marketers specifically yeah. because they have so much growth and leadership training yes. in their programs so um, that was definitely a big piece of that onion. I remember her looking me in the eye and saying, asking a couple questions that really were, were um, turning points for me. One of them was, what voice are you listening to? What, what, belie- what do you believe about yourself? Um, and the, I think the one that was the most impactful was, you know, what is your relationship with Jesus? You know, mm. are you, do you believe what he says about you? Do you believe? And, and, um, for me, that was just she a big went for the gust. She did. That was, the, that was a big question, right? <laughs> that was the that big. That was a big question. And, and that was tough. I mean, what bravery that she had to really break through that onion. Like you said, I mean, talk about exposing it. So big. So many times she did. I am so forever wow. thankful because in it, it didn't happen in just one conversation. She was in my life for... I think I, I was involved in her area for three years, three years, and just that consistent. And I would say sometimes it was a big bust to the gut, like that question, and sometimes it was just a little mm. chip. And just like, you know, Michelangelo talks about how did he carve the David, well, one chip at a time, she really wow. did carve that growth one chip at a time. You know what I, I keep uh, seeing is these powerful questions mm-hmm. that your mentors were asking you and really made you peel back the onion on yourself. So it wasn't things that they told you, Mm-mm. but they were questions and it made you really look deep da- down into yourself. Talk about peeling the onion. And I love that you were able to see that, Angie, you know. Mm-hmm. And so what happened from that point when she asked that but gusting question. What happened from that point? <laughs> you know, I started getting involved in some various different um, Bible studies that she was hosting, which were phenomenal with, nice. um, oh gosh, Beth, Beth Moore. Oh yeah, yes. Beth Moore. She's amazing. Yeah, she did a <laughs> She's a butt those. guster. <laughs> she is a onion peeler. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the other thing that I got from her was the power of coaching. And so at that mm. point, shortly thereafter, is when I hired my first coach, um, who ended up uh, not just helping with business, we ended up actually doing more of that really deep internal. And that's really where a lot of those 
the idea of the questions, right? Is the powers in the yeah. question you're coaching, not the coach yeah. telling you what Absolutely. to do. Absolutely. And so, the answer's within. Exactly. Just ask the question. Exactly. Wow. So that really was, I would say, um, a big turning point was when I finally made that decision to go through the coaching process with my coach. Um, her name is Jackie. And, um, of course, she started really with her skill and her knowledge base and her training going through those limiting beliefs and really, like, circling back to where I started, that whole idea of if I make choices for myself, I'm going to be this terrible, bad person and unraveling those and, and, and cutting through them. And, and that's really, I would say, I hired her in 2014, and it took about two years before I made some really big changes. Um, 2016 was one of those... Um, did Mark Buckingham call it a cleave, cleave year when he was talking about his experience where there was the you there was before this moment oh, happened and the yes. you after this happened? Um, nice. That was definitely a 2016 moment for me. There was the Angie that was before then and the Angie that came after that the moment. The new Angie. The new Angie. I, I call that the old Tina and the new Tina. Yeah. yeah she's, I'm still getting chipped away, you know, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. My word for 2020 is new. I'm ready for more chipping. I want a little bit harder chipping going on. And, yeah, be careful what you ask for, right? Right. So, <laughs> so here's what I came up with to be unsilenced. And, and I think uh, someone listening right now needs to be unsilenced. And one of the things that I train my staff and when I do a lot of workshops is to teach people how to speak up. Yes. Right. And first and foremost, for yourself, speak up because you're not doing your boss any good by not living out your purpose and your calling either. Right. You're right. going to hold the company back. Right. So I feel as a leader, as a as a business owner, it's my job to make pe- make sure my people are living into their calling. Right. And so I came up with, uh, first of all, getting a mentor. Number two, um, stop asking other people what you should do. Take ownership of your own decisions. Uh, number three, up level your inner circle. And number four, what I heard you say, you really started to lean into your strengths and you saw your strengths. And here you were, you were winning at the car dealership. And you said, hey, I'm going to take that strength and I'm going to jump. And I, I love that because you found your wings on the way down and you will find them very quickly. Um, as an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. and so you just jumping and getting so do uncomfortable things get comfortable being uncomfortable and then I heard you say you confronted your limiting beliefs and most people don't do that and you allowed your mentor to speak into you and ask the hardest question is what is your relationship with Jesus what's your relation do you believe what he says about you and so powerful number six is hire a coach and uh, and I believe a coach can really, really help transform you. Every time I, I interview someone for a podcast, Angie, it's always either they had a counselor or a coach or usually both. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's so powerful. And I have a counselor right now that I'm working with, and she's really exposing some things that I didn't realize I was still holding on to from my past. Yeah. And it's really given me a lot of comfort, and it's broken off like those chains that have been holding me down. And so you really need somebody from the outside looking in to see those blind spots. And my definition of leadership is transformed people transform people and that's what's Mm -hmm. happening 
with you and just three years ago so now this beautiful sculpture is getting formed again I got the chills as I talk about it this beautiful sculpture and what I love is that your vision right now I was I was reading what you wrote on your bio you said your heart is for helping female entrepreneurs find their fight and be stronger leaders in their business and communities and wow what a life statement what a legacy that you're going to be able to leave. And that's why I said this is about being unsilenced. And so you're going to unsilence people and help them find their voices. Talk about that program because it sounds to me like you've got some really, really great uh, workshops that you're doing as well. And you have, uh, what is this, a five, four-step process, five-step, what is that program that you teach? Yeah, all right, so there's two pieces to this. So there's um, Find Your Fight and then there's living rich, right? And so oh, that living rich, yes, yes, it is his legacy. <laughs> it is his legacy. Oh, um, so find your fight. This is this is one of those things where the more that I, I I think about it, the more I lean into it. It's so beyond me. Like it's it's an honor that I have had the journey that I have had to be able to share this, right? And I go back to to Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning and, and the story that he has about living through the camps. And I, I definitely mm. didn't have that level of no. <laughs> adversity at all. Yeah, every time um, I think about that man, I just, like, smile so big. Yeah. Like, what he just – talk about – Getting us in a thought process of higher level thinking. Right. Hello. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. Um, I, I, but And I love so much about his message. And, and what I especially love is that nothing ever happens to us. It happens through mm. us to help others. And that's yes. so much the story when I think about, um, you know, growing up with the, the world's going to end when you turn 13 and thinking about losing Rich at, at a time that we did in that, that relationship and what that meant for me and, and all sorts of, of stuff. And so Find Your Fight um, is really like the five things that I have leaned into and that I continue to use when I think about when I need to fight for whatever's next. And I, I see these five things similar in a lot of other individuals' fights. When I think about mothers who are fighting for their sick children, when I think about um, couples who are fighting for their their right to have kids or their right to keep kids or or women who are leaving abusive relationships and the fight that they have to make a better life for them and they're like it's it's a universal thing, right? Yeah. And so the five things are faith, intuition, gratitude, hunger, and tenacity. Beautiful. And so I go through, my, my first step is I've got a program, and it, 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 I wouldn't even say a program, a community. I want to build a community because I feel like as women we, we go through these things and we go through them in silos, and we feel like that, that to be strong we have to be quiet and hold it in, and we're not supposed to share it because we have to look like we have it all together all mm. of the time. And th- there's something so powerful in the community when, when you can go to to the tribe, go to the well, go to the watering hole and, and just say, I am struggling and I need a community and I need someone who's going to say, I can, you can do this. Right. So amazing. You know, we were never meant to do life alone no. and, and we're so much more isolated than, than we ever were. And I believe a lot of it has to do, I mean, as much as the power of the internet and everything that we can get on social media, is so powerful, but yet we were so much more isolated. What, what do you think is really cause that mindset with people to continue to isolate you know you know for I I can't say necessarily it's for everyone but I can speak Mm -hmm. to my own isolation and it all came down to fear 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 
fear of being judged, fear of being told that it was my fault, right? Because on some level I was in, I was internalizing this message, which is you control your life, you control your destiny, you make choices and you're responsible. And yes, that's all true, but what I was also making that mean is that I was responsible for what other things were happening to me. I was responsible for my behavior that caused someone else to say that the world was going to end yeah. when I was 13, right? What so advice I, do you give? Um, I'm thinking of parents right now, yeah. right? <laughs> so what advice can you give, you know, knowing at the level that you're at, how do you help? I'm a grandma now, so I want to help my grandson <laughs> to live fearless, right? And so what kind of things would do you wish that could have happened for you so that you can not have that fear of being judged because it's so funny because I always tell people hey whatever you fear you should do next so if your fear of being rejected then go be rejected this week I want you to get rejected and come back to me and tell mm-hmm. me how you did through that process and so I'm like, Tina I don't want to be rejected don't get rejected <laughs> and then I get a text back from one of the salon owners that I was coaching and she said I was rejected and I'm like tell me more <laughs> <laughs> So what advice would you give? You know, I, I'm, I'm thinking into this a little bit because I'm not a parent yet. So mm-hmm. I certainly don't want to pretend that I know anything yes. at all about well, what Well, now's the time to, to give parent, advice. Right, exactly. <laughs> Before so, you have kids. <laughs> so I'm giving this advice and I know nothing. Well, knowing what well, you do know because you were a child. Right. Right? And you know the experience of, of what you experienced. And so mm-hmm. what would you do differently as you start to raise your children, your future children? Yeah, and I thought into this and, and really um, talked about it with the the gentleman that I'm with now and just thinking into our future um, and how we want to handle kids. And, and we've decided that um, having a lot more questions and conversations is going to be a big mm. piece of that, right? Going back yes. to what you're saying about people being willing to ask questions. Beautiful. Yeah, stop telling your kids what to do and instead ask them what they think they should do and they're going to own that, right? Instead right. of being told. Right, yeah. exactly. That's good. Um, and, and recognizing that they're also very inexperienced, and so what is that line between asking them the right questions and helping them discover what it is that they want and giving them direction on how to help, yes. right? Beautiful. Um, how to have conversations and, and keeping the lines of communication open and, um, and, and just being unconditionally open. Yes, unconditionally open. Yeah, that, that's really powerful because when I think about that, sometimes we put conditions on people as, as part of manipulation that we don't even realize yeah. that we're doing. And so to really, really watch that and to be careful of the words that you choose as well. And we're human. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I think part of being unconditionally open also means being um, honest with your humanity and not being afraid to apologize. Yes. And so having the strength to say to Mm -hmm. a child, to a grandchild, to a coworker, to a boss, um, I am sorry. I am sorry for the way it was said. Maybe uh, I I can't speak to every situation, but maybe I'm not sorry for what I said, but the way I said it was wrong. And so Mm -hmm. all of that plays into it. You know, we're never going to be perfect. We're never going to get it right 100% of the time. So So just apologize. (laughs) Just apologize. Yeah, people appreciate that. I think even as as a young child, they're going to appreciate just saying I'm sorry. Because, you know, of course, obviously, like you said, everybody's human. We're going to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's really, really incredible. 
Yeah, I've apologized to my kids' uh, spouses before they got married. I said, I'm sorry, before you jump into therapy to complain about me, I want you to know, yes, it was my fault. <laughs> I took full responsibility. <laughs> and anytime something happens, I'm like, it's my fault. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Please forgive me. I love it. So talk a little bit more about uh, finding your fight. So I love the fact that you dig into faith, intuition, gratitude. Is it hunger? Hunger. And then tenacity. Talk a little bit about those more of and the experience that you've had as far as going through that program. Yeah. So one of the things... Um, Actually, speaking of the, the fear that we were just talking about, that's actually a big piece of that faith. And the idea here is faith and fear cannot live together. Both of them are from the same space. Both of them require you to believe in something that hasn't happened yet. Fear requires you to believe in something awful, tragic, hurtful happening, and faith requires that you believe that it's all going to be okay. Yes. So what... on on reality or what future are you believing in? And so that's one of the first tenets that we go through in that whole idea of finding oh a fight nice. is, is what future are you believing for yourself and how are you casting that future for yourself? And, and sometimes it's not even just your future. It's like, what are you believing right this very second? Yes. No, that's so good. And I think about that because, you know, we live in so much fear of so many things. So the antidote to that is faith. Yeah. <laughs> Period. I mean, honestly, you could just stop at that one on faith and you could be done. You're like, we're just going to focus on faith <laughs> because that changes everything. It does. Someone gave me a plaque about a year ago, a friend of mine, and it said, um, uh, to the opposite of fear is faith, period. And so I see it every morning yep. uh, when I get out of the shower. I see this, and it reminds me, mm -hmm. you know, so if I'm starting to feel that, you know, those butterflies, it's like just have faith. Like what is one of the best uh, portions of taking people through that faith process that you've seen that's made some transformation? Um, you know, I, I like to share this story kind of just as a broad caricature, right, is um, – Going back to when I was in law school, I was studying this case that happened in a snowy state. We'll just call it South Dakota. I could totally be wrong. I don't remember, but a snowy state, right? There was a family that left their home in the middle of the holidays, and then they um, visiting, and, and someone broke into their home and stole the Christmas presents, the Christmas decorations, stole food out of their fridge, was a real-life... Yeah, Grinch. Grinch. He was yeah. stealing Christmas. Uh -huh. <laughs> and that Grinch ran out the front door because the family had been away. He had slipped on some snow or some ice. He ended up breaking his leg. Mm. He sued the family and won the case. For, really? Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to get into why that was because there's different courts of law. There's criminal right. and civil, and so there are two different cases. But... Um, we all have these Grinches that steal Christmas from our brains, and it's mm. the, you know, Christmas is the, the ideal future that you have for yourself. It's your hopes, it's your dreams, it's the things that you want. And we, when I tell that story, people always have this reaction, well, how do we have that in the United States? And they get up in arms, and, and, and I say, but what about the Grinch that's stealing your hopes and your dreams? Mm. And it's taking you to court on a daily basis, and it's winning, because you're still not living into your best life. And so what I love working with women is, especially women, um, is helping them go through that process of really 
thinking and, and questioning them, right, because that's how attorneys get their cases heard is they have to ask questions of the witness on the stand. Yeah. Um, and really just taking that whole whole process and trial and, and helping them see, I like to call it the Elle Woods moment, right? Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. I love that. <laughs> it's a great movie. It is. <laughs> um, helping, helping women have that moment of, of recollection of like, this, this is the light bulb, right? Mm. Um, and so whatever this is for them can, can be different. It could be a new career path. It could be a new way that they're going to handle a situation. It could be a conversation they're going to go home and have with their partner or their husband or, or a kid or, or, or whatever. It could be that they're going to, a business they're going to start or any number of yeah. things. It's just, it's, it's mm-hmm. one step. And that, that's one of the things that I like to work with on the faith is, is you don't go from zero to a hundred. You go zero to one and then one to two. And yeah. Two to three. 10% shifts. Yes. Yes. I think so many people, uh, want to change overnight, yeah. and including myself. It's like, <laughs> I just want to stop. I want to stop this bad habit today. Yes. Right? And so it's just, it, talk through that light bulb moment for you as far as taking those shifts. Like, talk to that person right now. It's like, man, I just want to be in shape today. <laughs> you know, what is it? You know, it doesn't matter whatever bad habit you have, right? Right. And so you want to make a shift. So talk through that process of how to make just 10% shifts. What do you train people to do? I I train people to pick one thing first. I know that when I started this journey, because I had so much that I wanted to change when it came to my business, when it came to my home life, when it came to all of these things, I wanted to change all of them. I wanted to change them all right now, and I wanted to lose 20 pounds, and I wanted to get out of debt. You were (laughs) overcommitting. Way (laughs) overcommitting. Feel the onion. Exactly. (laughs) And so that's one of the things that I, I work with is what's, What's the one? What's the one thing that's going to make a change? And starting with people with where they're at, because there's 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 two different one. I call it two different one things. There's something that you can do that's small that will help you build the confidence muscle that's going to be necessary to make the really really big shift, right? Mm, so for me, one of the moments of that cleave moment in 2016 was when I did divorce my ex husband and and mm-hmm. some of the things that happened from that. I had to go through a bunch of little shifts leading up to that when it came to how I was walking in my emotional journey, my spiritual journey, some you know different habits that I had to change before I could make the big change and when I made that really big change is when I catapulted and a lot of things really positive went well in my life but that's where I I work down is sometimes people say I have to make I have to do the one really really big thing but if you do the Mm. one really really big thing too soon it could actually create more more resistance to making changes later on depending on what happens afterwards like if I had divorced my ex-husband too soon I would have had very different journey in life and so um that that's yeah that's no that's really big mm-hmm. yeah that's really big I, I love that piece of advice that you gave for sure so let's talk about uh living rich yeah <laughs> that, that sounds like a fun program oh, what so... do you do you train these programs um in businesses or how do you train these programs where do these workshops come from so the find your fight is right now it's a community and eventually that's going to be um optional uh, mastermind group where it'll be women who will work together um on a regular basis virtually still trying to figure out the the 
the mechanics, but that's going to be kind of an ongoing community with different levels of engagement in the community, depending on what you're looking for. Um, Living Rich is, right now, it's a keynote, and eventually it will Mm. be turned into a bigger program that will be more of like a group coaching kind of program to walk through. So it's a four-step process. Um, Rich is an acronym for Realize Your Dream, Intuitive Action, Choose Your Team Wisely, and Hustle. Ooh. Realize Your Dream, Intuitive Action. Mm Mm-hmm. What's the third one? Choose your team wisely. Ooh. Nice. And what's the fourth one? Hustle. Hustle. Big. Talk through those processes. Yeah. So I I use this, um, a lot of these stories actually come from experiences that I had with with Rich, and so, yeah. you know, when I think about the his idea, legacy his legacy on. lives on, yes, wow. these are, a lot of these things are things beautiful. I've learned a lot of different places, mm. but um, Rich did a lot of that, so things like Realize Your Dream, I go back to that conversation I had in the car, your dream, yeah. what is it that you want to do, do you want? And, and peeling away and making sure that that dream is 100% yours. Um, yeah, how do you help people guide them to what they actually want, what they're calling us? What's what's your process with that? Yeah, so it starts with questions. It starts with things like what what makes you really excited to wake up in the morning, yeah. right? And a part of it is also going out and, and trying and doing different things, right? So like yes. even with this um, Living Rich program, I've, I've piloted and tried it in a couple different ways and kind of found my sweet spot with... Um, more the female entrepreneur, and then um, college students actually like this one a lot because I do talk about about me being in college. So it's a good yeah. kind of entry leadership personal development program oh, so for eighteen good. to twenty year olds. There's intentional action, and then there's intuitive intentional action. Um, a lot of people, first and foremost, I, I, so many people I see are acting, and they're not even acting with intention. So you got to have that that layer of recognition there. Right. Um, you've got people who listen to their intuition. I do this all the time. Um, they listen to their intuition and they hear their intuition, but they don't trust it for one reason or another, so they yeah. don't act on it. Yes. And so, so that that's mm-hmm. really where this program comes in is what does your gut tell you to do, and then how do you go about doing something about it? That's so big. What my business partner, I remember one of the first things he told us, and it's always stuck with me, is obey your instincts. Obey your instincts. Yes. I was talking to a Palmetto school owner last night, and, and she said, Tina, I just, when I walk in to one of my schools, I just know what's working and I know what's not working. Like, I just feel it. Do you know what I'm talking about? I said, I totally know exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's that intuition that God gives us. He gives us this intuition. Yeah. And so talk a little bit more about that experience. What have you seen some shifts with people in or yourself? You know, the biggest thing is just learning to trust yourself. Yeah. And learning to trust that intuition because there are so many times where your intuition tells you things that just sound really silly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, wait a minute, I don't know. That doesn't make sense, right? Mm-hmm. And then the world around you will tell you that it's dumb, you gotta have the plan, you gotta know how, you gotta have the numbers, you gotta have whatever you gotta have, and it goes against your intuition. So, so it's, again, a process of starting small, like, what does your intuition say that you should have for breakfast this morning? Yeah. And, and again, it goes back to that whole Something idea of healthy. powerful questions, right? <laughs> um, yes. But, but even still, if your intuition says, I should have a chocolate brownie for breakfast. Then have the chocolate then brownie. Then have the chocolate brownie. <laughs> <laughs> 
But don't eat the whole tray. Right, not the whole tray. I don't tray. think it's going to say that. And not every morning. <laughs> That's from the devil himself. <laughs> but then, of That's course, awesome. there's also that piece of learning what is the ego and what is the intuition. Yes. Okay. Yeah, talk about that. Yeah. What, you have some experience with that? A little. Ego versus intuition. <laughs> right. Yep. So, I think it's a daily basis for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the purpose of the ego is twofold. First and foremost, the ego's job is to... Um, it's there to protect you. You know, I remember my coach Got telling it. me this story that your ego is, um, they're the, you think about like an old medieval castle and it's got the big towers or like, you know, and so you've got the guys on the towers and they've got all the big weapons and their job is to keep people from the outside from getting in. Right. And it's to keep you safe. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that happens is as you approach the gate of what is safe or what the ego perceives as safe, if you try to cross over that, that's the kind of the terror barrier, then all of those guards are going to start trying to flare you up, right? Right. right. And so you've got to learn how to say, thank you, ego. I appreciate it. I know you're trying to keep me safe, and you're going to keep me safe when I make this journey. So I'm going to ask you to come down from the tower and go with me. It, it all comes back to that idea of making sure that you've realized your dream. And, and what's interesting is the first three or the first, first four letters of realize is real. So you got to make it really mm. real, your dream. Okay. And that's a big piece of all of this, right? Because right. when you know what you're, you've made it real, mm-hmm. then you can listen to your intuition because your intuition is going to start talking to you and you'll be able to discern where your intuition is speaking versus where your ego is speaking. Um, that's powerful. Off. And then let's go to um, step three, choose your dream wisely. Choose team wisely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So this That's really has been a, a big piece of our conversation, right, is making yeah. sure that you have the right mentors in the room. Yeah. You've got the right people in the room. You've got people who, um, you know, sometimes I, when you relate this to realize your dream, I think something that we think as leaders or where we get caught up is we think that everyone has to have the same dream as us. Or right. we think that everyone has the same dream as us. Right. Yes. <laughs> and so part of that choose your team wisely is, one, picking the right people that are in the room, but then also making sure that the, the dream that other people have coincides or, or, or runs parallel with your dream. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be the same because we're different mm-hmm. people and we all do different things, right? Mm-hmm. But um, and, and we need to also recognize what is the dream and what is the machine that's making the dream. Talk about that, right? Yeah. Um, so if my dream is to help women find their fight, which it is, you know, I, I do that now through the avenue of coaching and speaking and training, primarily speaking and training, because that's what works. But it's the mechanism with which or the the, the machine that I use to help women find mm-hmm. their fight. Mm-hmm. I could wake up and be offered an opportunity to work in a corporate job and it could be a way to realize my dream right maybe I get called Mm -hmm. by a nonprofit to go and work with them on women empowerment am I still realizing my dream absolutely I'm using a different vehicle to do it right right yeah and so sometimes we have to remember what are we attached to are we attached to the dream or are we attached Mm -hmm. to how we're going to make the dream work Whoa, that's really powerful. Yeah, you just, you got to keep your eyes open. You never know what type of opportunities might come your way. And say yes to things because it's amazing what 
like what could happen when you say on the other side of yes. Yes. And the other piece of that is, is, is if you know how to realize your dream and you know what that dream is, then you'll also be able to better discern the shiny object syndrome. Yes. Because okay. then when those opportunities come, you can say, is this going to be a vehicle with which I can use to realize my dream? Or yeah. is this something that looks really pretty right now? Yeah, exactly. And I, I agree with that because I, I recall about a year ago we had this opportunity to do this other type of business and we thought, okay, it's a really good idea, but is it a God idea? Yeah. And so I have to really check myself. Is it a good idea or a God idea? Is this lining up with my values? Is this lining up with my calling and my purpose? Or is this going to take me off of my path mm-hmm. of where I'm at? And so I think just really, really, really staying focused on that and being careful to not let those shiny objects take place. Because it, it looked like a good idea because it looked like a real big money maker. Yeah. And we said to ourselves, no, we're not going to change the money we never have we never will we're never going to be obsessed you know with money we're always going to just be obsessed with our calling and so I think that's just really really huge I love that you talk about choosing your team wisely in your inner circle oh man it's everything you know who are you lining you're aligning yourself with and be careful what I heard you say earlier and I I have to watch myself with this is being careful of manipulative people as Mm -hmm. well too because they're very very toxic and could really really destroy your path that God puts you on and so be careful of that last is hustle I love that Mm -hmm. talk about that yeah so hustle um I play with this a lot because hustle, we live in Detroit, right? So Detroit hustles harder. Yes. And it's this idea of the grind. And there is a level of you you gotta you gotta take action and you've gotta do things mm. and 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 move and, and part of the story with Rich is is he you know, I share his story through this and in, in the program and, and he, he the car accident happened, he was twenty five years old. And when you look at some of the things that he was able to accomplish in that twenty five years, it's pretty incredible and, and you know, you wonder how much more, yeah. but we will never find out. But, um, so there is that piece that like, you don't know, we hear this all the time, right? We don't know when our final days are going to be here. We don't know right. what's going to happen. So do what you can when you can. Um, but the, the flip side of the hustle is the, the humbleness of the hustle, right? I, part of this program is understanding where is the space to be, not to just do, because when we get into the hustle, we get so caught up in doing and doing and doing and overworking and overcommitting and over. <sighs> wow, exactly why I have the B series podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the space to be and not just do. Right. Period. How do you do that? How do you have that space to be? You know, I am working with carpet? that on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> Me too. That's why I have this podcast. Yeah. It's helping me to yeah. stay focused on on being and not doing. Yeah. And you know what's funny is being can turn into doing. I ran into that when I was going through it this can. journey, right? Because yes. I had this checklist of things. I had to read my devotional <laughs> and I had to do my journal and I had to meditate yes. and I had to get on the treadmill and I had to do... And this kind of goes back to where I was inspired to do the intuitive action. As I say, okay, here are all of the things that I can do to be. And I've got... 30 minutes carved out every morning. Yeah. And I say, so what do I need to do with that 30 minutes yeah. to be today? And sometimes it's 30 minutes of journaling. Sometimes it's 10 minutes of journaling, 10 minutes of reading, 
you know, I, but you, I leave that openness. Like, here are all the things that I could do that are going to take me to my goal. Intuition, what do I need to do today? Yeah. No, and then good. do it. Yeah, I just heard a speaker uh, this morning, actually, and he really opened up my eyes. He said that he um, does a lot of fasting where he's only spending time with God. And it was just so uh, so cool because it opened up my eyes that I haven't really done that. Mm-hmm. Like, I never disconnect from social media and the Internet. And so he does it for a period of time, and he won't even take phone calls wow. from people. Yeah. And he's become so powerful uh, with his spirituality that uh, the Pentagon actually called him. Wow. Yes, and wanted his advice. And so because he spent so much time with God, and so they wanted to have, you know, that higher advice. Talk about up-leveling, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and so it was really, really huge because I thought, whoa, wow, he's really up-leveling me at this point. That's going to really stretch me, you know, to, to talk about that's being. Yeah. <laughs> and not doing. And not ha- I'm like you. I have that list of this is everything I need to do so that I could be. It's like, wait a second, Tina, are you really being? Yeah. So this is powerful. Good podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your uh, future goal and how can people get a hold of you? Oh, gosh. You know, I have been really on a mission and um, a drive to talk about this idea of living rich and finding your fight. And and I have all these other things that I do with leadership and development and John Maxwell. And, and yes, I want to work with the business community because I, John Maxwell actually just at Live to Lead said that we're in a leadership shortage. And so I definitely do want to work in, in that mm-hmm. arena. But where I really like when you talk about your God calling, that yeah. is it's working with those female entrepreneurs who are mm-hmm. looking to find a community, to have a way to grow personally, um, who want to find their fight, who want to live a rich life, and who want to do more than they maybe thought was possible for themselves. Yeah. Yeah, be on silence. Be on silence. I love it. That's yeah. beautiful. How can people get a hold of you? Uh, the best way to get a hold of me is through uh, Facebook. So um, <laughs> Angie Sans, you see that is Angie without an E. Yeah, A-N-G-I. <laughs> A-N-G-I. Yes. Uh, see. I, I have a, 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 you know, a regular page, and then I have a business page. Both of them carry that name. Um, you can also find me on Instagram. My handle is Angie, A-N-G-I underscore defend your dreams. Defend your dreams. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, so yeah, the best way to get a hold of me would be use one of those platforms and you can send me, you know, a message or a DM and I'd be happy to connect. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to send us your stories of transformation through www.tinablack.net. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to give it a rating and subscribe. See you next time.